What a perfect transition as we transition in the course of this season from our month of missions to this Christmas season in which we find ourselves. If you think of those two, two songs that we uh, sing together as a congregation, um, not only holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, when we see that picture in the book of Revelation of, of representatives from every tribe and tongue gathered around the throne of the Lamb singing holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty. It all began because God came incarnate. God came to us, Emmanuel. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. And we'll be camping out in one verse, which is our focal verse, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. But we're also going to find ourselves probably even more significantly in John chapter 1. So if you want to put your finger in... Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and then flip over to John chapter 1 and put your finger there as we see kind of the fleshing out, if you will, of this prophecy of the coming king that we see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. But in the midst of that verse, we draw the title of today's message, The Sign, The Sign. Now, if you are a child of Generation X, you're like in your 30s, 40s, maybe in your lower 50s. You're a, children, you're a child of the 90s or a teenager of the 90s or a young adult of the 90s. When you saw the title of this message, The Sign, was there a certain particular song that you thought of? I see you smiling. What did you think? I saw the sign, right? And that's what you thought? Like some of you are just blank stares. You don't have a clue what we're talking about. But this is a song that is from like 1993 by Ace of Bass called I Saw the Sign. Or it's called The Sign. So it goes, I saw the sign. Opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. And Matt is, he's like, the pastor will never sing. That's the only time. He's like, that, that's the only time he can get me to sing is some squirrely song that gets stuck in our head from the 90s. And I apologize already because if you grew up in that era and you knew that song, yes, it will now be stuck in your head again this entire week. But I saw the sign. But this is a much more important sign, significant sign. It was the sign of the coming king, the Messiah, Emmanuel. And so the background of Isaiah chapter 7 is we see that Isaiah comes to King Ahaz. And a a conglomeration of two kingdoms are knocking at the door of Judah. It is Syria, or Syria that is coming, with a, a bond with the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, again, we talk about it quite a bit, but for those of you who maybe knew, it's really important, especially when we're talking about this portion of biblical history. Um, the, the two kingdoms, the one united kingdom of the Hebrew people of Israel has long split into two. And the ten northern tribes have become the nation or continued to be the nation of Israel. The two southern tribes are the, is the nation of Judah. And so Ahaz is ruling over Judah, and then we see this conglomeration of two, uh, two kingdoms that are coming, Syria that is giving the, the greatest deal of power, and then Israel. And we see not too long after this, really about 60 years after this, Syria conquers Israel. So they're together trying to conquer Judah, not only uh, for that to happen, but just a short time later in the, in the grand scheme of biblical history, but Syria will turn on Israel. And they will conquer Israel. So in the midst of all this, Isaiah the prophet comes before King Ahaz in the name of the Lord. And he says, God will be faithful to the people. And he says, do you desire a sign? 
Verse 10, it says then, and again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God and let it be as deep as Sheol. That was their place of the dead. It was this uh, sort of understanding of the place and the dwelling place of the dead. Or as high as heaven. So he basically is saying in this sort, of, uh, this sort of dramatic, poetic way, he's saying, whatever you desire your sign to be, ask of it. And I will give you a sign to show my faithfulness. So as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now as we see from the context, we're like, wow, this is really good of Ahaz. But really, um, when we look at the entirety of the context, it's Ahaz feigning humility. Maybe it's a lack of trust. Maybe he doesn't really believe that the Lord can see it through. Whatever it may be, he's disobedient in this moment. And then he said, hear then, O house of David. This is Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord. Is it too little for you to weary men that you may weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So the Lord requested, ask of a sign. You feign humility probably because of a disbelief and really trusting that the Lord could do what he said. So God said he will give you a sign. But guess what? The fulfillment of this sign will be many years in the future. The focal point of this sign, of this uh, prophetic utterance will be many years in the future. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a, a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name. Emmanuel. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Now as we put our marker there, our finger in Isaiah chapter 7, we'll flip over to John chapter 1. And we begin to answer this question that we have throughout as we walk through John chapter 1. And this question that we have based upon Isaiah chapter 7 is what is the greatest significance of this prophecy of the sign? You know, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of King Jesus has incredible layers of significance. But when we think about this particular prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, as it prophesies about a particular instance and a particular focal point of his coming, what is the greatest significance of this prophecy of the sign? As we answer that question, let's turn to John chapter 1. And before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, as we come to this passage today, in this dual passage of John chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 7, God, and as we enter into this uh, Christmas season, as we are thinking about the significance of you coming, of you sending Jesus Christ to this world, may it again be a catalyst for us, remembering not only how wonderful the cradle, but also the cross and the grave. And may it be a catalyst again in our lives for those that, that, that their hurt, their pain really comes into focus in this time of the year during this holiday season. May we be ones who are willing to share the one, the only one who can give them hope. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we do pray. Amen. So when we think about the greatest, what is the greatest significance of this sign spoken of in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. The first thing that we see kind of an answer to that. We see it in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and it is this. Deity. Deity. So as we kind of seek to answer this question, we are going to kind of build through this passage of what is the greatest significance. And so we ask ourselves the question, is it deity? Boy, that is significant. That is incredibly significant. So is it deity? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. He was in the beginning with God. This word that's spoken of there is, of course, the second person of the Trinity, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is speaking of his pre-incarnate existence, his deity, his Godness, if you will. In the beginning was the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made through him, all things were made through him, and without him there is nothing, not anything that was made without him. So he's saying, if you look around you, if you walk outside and you look to this grand world in which we live, that no, it doesn't just exist by time plus matter plus chance, but all that we see around us is here because of the creative hand of God. And in fact, it was none other than the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, which was the agent of creation. So nothing was made that was not made through him. You know, John here, under the inspiration of the the Holy Spirit, speaking the very words of God, chose a very powerful word, in fact, a bridge word to the two uh, communities, the two existences, the two peoples that he was speaking to. Not only for the Greek culture, and of course, uh, Rome at the time that John was writing was the nation of nations. It was the powerful nation, but yet much of their culture was influenced, of course, by Greek culture, the, the, the great uh, nation before them. And when we look at Greek culture, this word, this idea, this concept of the word in Greek culture speaks of divine reason or wisdom. So John, looking towards this Greek understanding, kind of creates one half of this bridge word of the word that he uses. But more importantly and more powerfully, he borrows from the biblical concept of the word, which is this powerful self-expression of God in creation, in his eternal wisdom, in his revelation that we see in his word, not only of the written revelation of himself, but also the physical revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the very embodiment that we see in places like Galatians and Hebrews, where Jesus Christ was the very embodiment of the Godhead. So powerful self-expression and creation and wisdom in the revelation written and otherwise of the Lord Jesus Christ and of also salvation. So we see John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking the very words of God, chooses this powerful bridge word and this concept of the word. And he applies it none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The very concept, the very uh, expression of who God is and all that he is and his glory and his majesty and his wisdom is expressed physically, manifested in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the word. So we see when we ask, when we think about again our kind of touchstone verse of, of of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and we ask this question what is the the most significance what's the greatest significance of this prophecy of the sign is it the deity of Christ well that's powerful maybe it's the light maybe it's the light as we see here in verses 4 and 5 it says this in him verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1 of John in him in Jesus Christ was life and the life was the light of men The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, we don't have to be uh, greatly convinced of the darkness of our world. You know, all we have to do is kind of look at the front page of the newspaper, or maybe we just scroll through the news feed on our phones, however it is that you consume your news. 
you don't have to look very far to realize the great darkness in our city, in our country, in the world. It's the same darkness that has been dwelling in our world ever since the fall of mankind. It's darkness in which men and women throughout the centuries and millennia of human existence have been trying to solve the answer to why is there such darkness in our world and how do we overcome it? Well, in one man, the God-man, he provided the answer to the darkness and he himself was the light. You know, when we look at chapter 7 and 8 of the book of John, just a few chapters after this, this kind of secondary passage that we're looking at, we see this incredible setting known as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it was one of the annual celebrations of the Hebrew people in which pilgrims, Hebrew pilgrims, part of the dispersion of, of Hebrew people, Jewish people that had been living all over all of the known world at that time, they would come back uh, to Jerusalem for this huge feast. And what they would do is they would set up these booths or tabernacles. And there were these temporary dwellings, probably not unlike a tent in our day, in which their family would dwell in there, and it would signify, it would help them to remember the fact that their ancestors dwelt in the wilderness. And it was God's, uh, it celebrated God's great hand of provision and care and comfort upon his people. And so when they would gather together, they would celebrate this. And as part of this week-long-plus celebration, they would have two significant practices in the Temple Mount. One was the practice of the water. One was the celebration of the water in which they would pour out the water and then the last day they would pour, they would, they would go through this great procession, pour out this water, but there was no water to pour. And what it signified is their Messiah, the living water, had not yet come. And you remember Jesus stood up in the midst of that celebration. He said, I am the living water. Incredibly powerful. Well, also we see just a chapter later that Jesus finds himself again in the Temple Mount in the midst of this Feast of the Tabernacles, this time of celebration. And if you can imagine in the Temple Court, there's these incredibly tall pillars, very narrow pillars. At the top of that would sit a bowl of some, some sort of thing that would ignite wood, whatever it may be. And they would keep these pillars lit, and they called them these grand candelabras lit, throughout the entirety of this feast. And again, it signified the light that was coming into the world through God and, and, and would be exemplified, it would be manifested with their coming Messiah. And Jesus stands in the midst of this temple courtyard, if you can imagine, with these grand uh, pillars of fire. And he said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. In the midst of all this darkness, the answer to this darkness, this riddle that mankind has been trying to solve and they were unable to solve, they've still been unable to solve it because they're trying to solve it within themselves because mankind is the issue of darkness, sin in one's life. He said, I have come to solve it. I am the light. So when we think about the significance of the sign that we see in Isaiah 7:14, is it the deity of Christ? Is it the light? Is it adoption? Is adoption into the family of God? Look down a little bit further in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He says, this one, Jesus Christ, as he came into this world, but to all he did, who did receive him, to all of those, all of us, 
all of mankind that would come to the place where they would, where they would accept Christ as their Savior and their Lord. They would come to that place in their life where they would repent. A word that's not popular in our culture today, but is incredibly biblically, biblically significant, which means to turn away from your old way of life and turn towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who would repent and come to faith, turning over their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God or will of man, but they were born of God. You see, not only did Jesus Christ the pre-incarnate one, the second person of the Trinity, who had in, in, in all of his fullness, he was God. He was the God-man who came to this earth, and he came to bring us the light that we so desperately needed in this world of darkness, in, this, in the midst of the darkness in our life. But he also gave us the ability to be adopted as sons and as, daughter, and as daughters of God. You see, we don't have a distant deity we don't have some sort of a distant God, but he's one who not only forgives us and cleanses us, redeems us, reconciles us to himself, but we become so close with God that we've been adopted into his family. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, we, we, we have been given the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. You see this significance again if you were to read a few chapters later in John chapter 3 as John is sitting down with Nicodemus, this great spiritual leader of the day, and he tells him, uh, he tells him that you must be, mankind must be born again. Such significant change in one's life. The light floods the, their life of darkness. They are adopted into the family of God. Such significant change that Jesus Christ describes it as brand new birth so when we think about this sign in isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 the significance is it the deity of christ yes is it the light that he brings yes is it the adoption as sons and daughters into the family of god yes but all of this points to all of this points to the very presence of god verse 14 of john chapter 1 Oh, how these two echo themselves. Isaiah chapter 7, Emmanuel. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And we see this significant fleshed out in, in verse 14 of John chapter 1. And he says this, And the word that is the pre-incarnate one, Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, when we think about all the other religions of the world, we know as we group them together, we can see their man-centeredness. Because in all of the other religions of the world and concepts of deity in the world, God is a distant God. God or multiple gods or some force of the universe, it is distant. And we must spend our entire life doing, 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 trying to please this distant deity or set of deities or this force of the universe. 
But when we think of the true concept of the one true God, Yahweh, the one who is expressed in all of his fullness in the person of Jesus Christ, we see the greatest significance of this sign is in that word Emmanuel, God with us. God came to us. You see, when we think about trying to please some concept of deity or deities or force of the universe for someone that may have some sort of belief that there is some sort of an afterlife. It is this spending of their entire life trying to reach up and trying to take hold of God through good works and merit this sort of salvation in their life. But when we see the concept of salvation from the one true God, it is Emmanuel. God has come to dwell with us. And so Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate deity, the, the second person of the Trinity who veiled in a certain sense his glory, he came as the light unto mankind. And through him, through, through, through salvation in him, we are adopted into the family of God. And all of this points to the significance of the presence of God, God with us. God dwelt among us. And so finally, when we think about it, Let's think about the significance of that very word, Emmanuel, God with us. And then let's think beyond our lives. Let us think beyond the proverbial four walls of this church. Emmanuel, God with us. If God came to us, will we, will you not go with him to the entirety of the world? Let's pray. Lord God, when we see the significance of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and this prophecy, this sign, there are so many layers of significance there, but maybe the most so is the fact that you told us we did not need to come to you, nor could we. we there's nothing that we could do to reach up to you. There's no good works that we could do. There's no amount of, of effort that we could spend and, and we could work towards to please you and to, to, to wipe clean the slate of sin in our life. But you also tell us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that you demonstrated your own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, before we cleaned ourselves up, before we just we tried to raise our level of quote-unquote goodness to a certain state before all of that lord god christ died for us lord god when we think about this christmas season we think about the coming of your son jesus christ the most staggering fact is the fact that you came to us you came to us there in that manger oh so many years ago, lying helpless in flesh, just as we're wrapped in flesh, was God. You came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. In the name of Jesus we do pray, amen. We come now to this time.